so good to be here and to uh, meet with your parents yesterday and to share with you this morning. This morning we want to talk about the only institution that is older than sin, and that's the family. In the early chapters of Genesis, we see two very clear purposes as to why God created us. He created us, first of all, for rulership and to work. Genesis 1.28 says, Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's where we get all of our jobs and our careers and our livelihood. And God wires us all differently to do different things. Uh, I've been sitting counseling mostly couples for the last 23 years and helping couples with their children. And one of the questions I get asked, the most often asked question I get asked is, how do you sit there every day listening to everybody's problems and garbage? (laughs) And I always say, well, this is the most exciting thing I've ever done. And that's when they kind of look at me like I have two heads. But that is the way I'm wired. God wires everybody differently, and he motivates us to do certain things. And I don't think that will change when we get to eternity. We're still going to use our gifts, and we're still going to continue to build God's kingdom in his unique ways. So he created us to work, first of all. But then he also created us for relationship. In Genesis 3, 8, it says, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking God in the walking in the cool of the day and they hid themselves because they got into sin but God came to commune with them and have relationship with them so we have these two purposes and it's like it's like a two-cylinder engine that if both are working it really works well but if only one is working the, the engine just doesn't work and it doesn't matter which side doesn't matter which side's not working. Um, we have, uh, we usually take care of the work thing pretty easy because why? If we don't work, you don't eat. But, but the relationship side almost seems optional. And we can really fall down in the relationship side. You know, for those of you who are my age, uh, you know, you're going to remember the hippies, hippie movement in the 60s and the 70s. And uh, they were keyed into relationship. They had a good point, and they rejected corporate America, success, money, and they just rejected it all. Let's just have relationship, because without relationship, all the success and the money is just empty. So they rejected all of that. Let's just have communes. Let's have sit-ins. Let's have love-ins. And and just live all together. And we'll get to know each other and have relationship. But nobody was doing any work. (laughs) So they all got hungry. So one or the other, if you emphasize one without the other, it doesn't work. God created us for two things, relationship and to work also so in this passage we just read this morning 
in Colossians chapter 3. There's 27 commands, if you, if you add those up. Concerning family, church family, the nuclear family. And we want to focus this morning on relationship, particularly in the family, husbands and wives, parents and children. And these 27 commands, there is one that overarches all of them. And that's verse 13 when it says this, above all, clothe yourselves with love. Do all these things, but most important, love each other. Relationship is all about the heart. So to put a title on my message this morning, it would be this. Love your family with all your heart. The Bible doesn't define really what the heart is, but the Bible does tell us what the heart is all about. It describes the heart. It tells us what it does. The heart is where we choose values and convictions to live by. The heart is where we experience passion. I have a passion for what I do. The heart is where we experience temptation and guilt. It's where our conscience resides. The heart is where we feel close to others. It's where we experience emotional pain. Well, how important is the heart? Here's what Proverbs 4.23 says about the heart. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it springs the, the issues of life. And you can put this up on the screen there now. Other translations say it this way. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. I like this one. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The heart is really the core of our life. It's the control center. We are of a sum total, really, of whatever is in our hearts. The heart is where we re relationship takes place. If relationship is going to work in our families, it's about having heart relationship. About having heart connection. Let's start with mom and dad. As mom and dad goes, so goes the family. If mom and dads don't have good relationships, all the family is going to have struggles. And the best way I can illustrate that is to share with you some of our journey, uh, my wife and I, in our heart-based relationship. I pastored that church in Gory for um, about 15 years. And during the last part of that time, got into more and more counseling, helping people across the table, and it's something I really enjoyed. But I also became very frustrated with it. It seemed like you could bring a troubled relationship so far, and we'd hit roadblocks, and I would end up sending them off to marriage counselors and ones that I knew, and they didn't seem to be getting the help there either. Not to say that there isn't good counseling out there, because there is. But we're way up there somewhere, and not too many people, and not too many people close by that would work with marriages. 
And that really made me stop and ask questions. Like, here we are. We have the word of God. We have the spirit of God. We're the church. Why can't we help people with deep problems? One of those prayers I prayed in desperation, Lord, if you want me to pursue this area, you open the doors. I don't have a clue where to go. Prayed in desperation. Then after a while, my sister and brother-in-law started coming to our church. They moved into the area, and they had struggled in their marriage from the very beginning, could not resolve the issues that just kept them way out here with each other, and they wanted me to help them. I helped them with what I could, but it can't counsel your sister very well, especially when you're probably part of the problem. So a long story short, they got recommended to a counselor in Indiana, and so they phoned him up and shared a little bit of their story over the phone. And he said to them, well, I know somebody better than me for what you're dealing with. If you go see John Regeer in Colorado Springs, he'll fix you up, whatever your problem is. So they phoned down, found out he was booked out about two years. Because here's, here's a man that every morning would just pray, God, would you give me wisdom from your word to help people with their problems? But he was booked out a couple of years because he took couples for a week at a time. But they liked everything they heard. So they told him, look, if you ever have a cancellation, you want somebody to come last minute, you call us, we'll be there the next day. Well, they got a call in a couple of weeks to fill in a cancellation, and off they went. They came back on a honeymoon I could not understand. What happened to bring this couple from here to a place of heart connection? Not where they were in the beginning, but to a place they'd never been. Well, that got my attention. I sat down with them, and they told me all they could tell me, and I phoned down and talked to John and found out he had a, an intern prayer partner program. You go down, sit in the room while he counsels and be part of the prayer team, but observe how he helps people this way. I went down as soon as I could. It sounded too good to be true, but I saw the results. So I watched them work with two couples that week, amazed with what I saw, taking couples that are many times ready to divorce and bring them together with a heart connection that was absolutely amazing. So I, started, I decided and prayed and talked to our board at the church and, and uh, was going to take this training. So we spent the summer, my wife and I, um, in the summer of the summer of 2000 we went down to Colorado and as we prepared to go we got all of his materials began to study as much as we could before we went down but as we did that things began to surface in us that we had never resolved and the more we tried to work on it the worse it got which caused me a great deal of consternation because here we were, the church is paying our whole way for the summer to go down. They were happy to expand the ministry, but we couldn't solve our own stuff. So we thought, what we'll do is we'll go down, we'll um, study what this is all about at night, and then we'll, we'll solve our own stuff. But it just got worse and worse. Finally, I sat down with John. I said, John, we're so excited about what we're learning. We can't wait to get back and help people. But I said, we got stuff. Can we sit with you too? And so 
we uh, went into some of his noon hours. Let me back up about 15 years, and I'll put all this together for you. Uh, 15 years before that, that's where I started pastoring that church. And I knew I was struggling with some hurts from the past. So I grew up in a Christian home, wouldn't trade my folks for anybody. But my dad had an anger problem. And I would get destroyed. I loved to work with him. He was self-employed. And uh, I would get destroyed by his impatience and his anger. And by the way, I'm talking about, I came out of a good home. But my dad did have an anger problem. So when I left home when I was 19, I was pretty angry. And I knew I had to deal with this stuff. Now I was starting to pastor. I just knew I had to deal with this. I just found it difficult. Well, we had a large youth group from the beginning, so we took them away for a youth retreat. Brought a speaker in. During the course of that weekend, he talked in one of his messages about the unmerciful servant. And that's the servant where there was a master uh, that... And he had a servant, and that servant owed him, swindled him out of $20 million if he changed it to our money today. And the servant catches up with him and says, look, you owe me $20 million. You pay it up today. Yeah, I owe you $20 million. I, 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 it's all gone. I can't even produce it. But, but just give me time. I'll pay it all back. Well, the master knew he could never pay it back. So he just forgave him and let him carry on with his work. Well, then this servant who was forgiven 20 million had another servant answerable to him, and that servant owed him $20. And he goes to him and says, look, you owe me $20. You pay it up today, or I will put you in prison, you and your family. And that's how they did it in those days. Yeah, oh yeah, 20 bucks, I can't do it today, but quick as I can, I will. No, today. So he puts him in prison. The master finds out what the servant had done and came to him and said, how could you be forgiven 20 million and you can't turn and forgive 20? You go to prison. And I heard that parable many times, read it many times, and I always thought, how could anybody be so heartless, so cruel to be forgiven so much and couldn't forgive so little till that weekend? God said to me, that's you, Bob. I've forgiven your millions of sins. And I knew there was millions. But you won't forgive. And the things that you grew up with, yeah, that hurt, but you won't forgive. You're the unmerciful servant. And when I saw myself as somebody I really despised, I was absolutely able to forgive my dad and, and just let it all go. But I want to show you a diagram on the screen. If we can get that up on the screen. Um, show you what happened when I did forgive my dad. When we're damaged as kids, that pain goes deep into the heart. And we don't know what to do with that. We tend to stuff it. We bury it. And that's what I did. And I stuffed all that stuff, buried it all, and just hid my heart with it. That's what we do when we stuff it. And I never went to my heart anymore. That's what we often do. So we stuff it. I didn't go to my heart, and I became a very head person. Intellectual, not in the sense of being smart or intelligent, but in the sense that I just stayed up here. I didn't go down here. Because if I went down here, 
I'd hit stuff that didn't feel good. But relationship takes place at the heart level. I didn't let anybody inside there. If anybody tried to get in there, I would just block them. And then I got married and, and so on, and, and my wife would try to get into my heart. That's her on the, on the right side there. She'd try to get in my heart, and I'd block her. But I'm not aware that I'm doing that. I'm just, I would just say, I'm not that kind of person. And then my wife would start saying things like, I don't feel love from you. And that would, that would not feel good. I did love my wife. I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't planning to go anywhere. But you don't feel love from me. Well, what do you do with that? Well, the Bible does have the answers to life and death and everything in between. And here's how you be a good father, a good husband. And I'd look at all those things with my head, kind of divorced from my heart. And I would say, I can do all those things, and I want to do those things. And then I would try to reach my wife's heart with my head. And that's when she would block me. So this is where we were stuck in our relationship, even as a pastor. And that doesn't mean we had a horrible marriage because we did. We got along together in lots of ways. But to go to a heart level, this is new territory for me. And so John got to know us. John Regeer got to know us. And he took my wife in her heart. And he walked around all my roadblocks. And he walked right into the hornet's nest where all that hurt was. And I started weeping. Because I started to feel all the things I felt as a little kid growing up who could never do it right. I could never please my dad. I could never make him feel like I'm worth anything. And all that stuff came to the surface. And I did have pain. Well, that afternoon, I got a chunk of that stuff healed. And these walls, they came down. And for the first time in 26 years of marriage, I could see my wife's heart with my heart, and I could let her into mine. And I remember looking at her and saying, so this is what you've been talking about for 26 years. You don't feel love for me. Yeah, this must be it. And we, just, we had a whole new relationship because things were cleaned out inside, and we could start to love each other. Well, we got back home from Colorado. I had one goal in my life. I wanted to love my wife so she could feel that. And I wanted my children, when they left our home, to be able to look back and say, that eh, wasn't a perfect home, but we knew we were loved. And so through a series of events, we resigned from pastoring, gave the church a year's notice, and formed uh, Caring for the Heart Ministries Canada. And we're a charitable organization. We don't charge for counseling. We help couples get their hearts connected and help them get their hearts connected with their children and to have family relationship the way God intended. Now, the things that my wife and I needed to resolve were issues in our hearts that were there before we even met each other. And Luke chapter 4, we see where Jesus, 
at this time, they didn't know who Jesus was. He was a good man from Nazareth. Very few knew who he was. But now in Luke 4, it's time for him to expose who he is to the world and start his earthly ministry. So he was in the temple this one day, and they did a lot of public reading in those days, and so it was his, probably his turn to read. So they gave him the book of Isaiah to read. And he went to the place in the scroll where he read about himself. And here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Well, I was familiar with that. I grew up with that. I was saved when I was nine. I understood the gospel very early. But what he says right after that, I was not really familiar with from a heart level. He said, right after I came to preach the gospel, I came to heal the brokenhearted. My dad broke my heart. And by the way, when I say that, I'm not blaming him. I loved my dad till he died. I could love him more after I cleaned this stuff up in my own heart. He came to heal the brokenhearted. That came alive to me. And then he says right after that, I came to deliver the captives from sin. So we see what Jesus came for, two very clear things. He wants to heal our hearts. Those are emotional issues. They take healing. You know what? You can't talk your way out of them. You can't think your way out of them. You can't counsel your way out of them. They take healing. And the sin issues, that we become captives to sin. Things like bitterness and, and defiance, immorality. All those things are sin issues. Those take repentance. But those two kinds of issues are there. And it's interesting in that passage that Jesus went down and he said, at the end again, he went back to emotional issues. And he says, I came to deliver those who are oppressed. And what I've seen in helping people at a heart level over 23 years, so much abuse around. And abuse puts an oppression over the soul. It's interesting he went to emotional issues twice, just spiritual issues once. I'm not saying they're twice as important, but it's just interesting. But we don't really talk a lot about the emotional parts in church. So he came to heal the brokenhearted and to set the captives free 80 to 90 percent of my time working with couples i take couples for a week at a time we get together three hours a day and usually in a week you resolve the, the deep issues i spend most of my time dealing with issues in individual lives that were there before they even met each other 80 to 90 percent of the time that are stuck in their heart so let's get really practical here. How does this work in life? I want to talk about five emotional needs that every person has, whether spouse, child, um, single person, or senior. We all have these needs. And the first one is we all have a need to be loved. We all have a need to be loved. God gave us all the ability to give love and receive love from the heart. And God gave all of us a heart to be able to give and receive love. And when a person starts to feel loved, you know what? There's so much depression around. 
If you're feeling loved and you are being loved, it's hard to be depressed. So we all have a need to be loved. We all have a need to be appreciated. And everyone needs to be appreciated for what they do. We need to be accepted. The opposite of acceptance is rejection. That's probably the most common problem I deal with in my office. People feeling rejected. Many times people are just terrified to come into our office because they're wondering, if you really find out how bad I am and what I've done, are you even going to accept me? And I want them to know real quick, <laughs> I'm just going to accept them no matter where they are. If you look at the life of Jesus when he was here on earth, he just accepted people. The woman caught in adultery, he just accepted her. He, and Jesus would go around the problems they were having and start loving them. People need to be accepted for who they are. Not because of what we have done or what we can do. We just need to be accepting people just because they're there. We all have a need to be valued and feel significant. A person who feels value will, will, who does feel no value will typically get depressed to one degree or another. A person who feels value will have hope. Fifthly, a person needs to feel safe and secure. The first priority I have to help people who come into my office, I want them to feel safe and secure with God. I want to make sure, number one, they feel safe and secure with God. It all starts there. And one question I ask, if you want to find out where a person at, where's at with their relationship with God, it's this question here. If you died today and went to heaven's gate, and you had to give an angel some reasons why you should go to heaven. Now, it doesn't happen this way. <laughs> but if it did, what would you say? What would be your defense to get into heaven? You know what I found out? And I challenge anyone here. You ask the next 100 Christians that you see, that you walk into that question, you're going to be shocked at what you hear. There's a very poor understanding of the gospel out there. I'm talking about the church in general. And so I want to make sure they feel safe and secure with God. And they need to feel safe and secure in their relationships as well. Now, I want to be very practical uh, this, this morning as to how we can have better relationships, husband and wife, and parents and children, and even extended family. And I want to give you four keys to help somebody do all these things. And these four keys will make a person feel loved and cared for. First of all, people, you and I, need affirming words. We need affirming words. Proverbs 18, 12 says this. Death and life 
are in the power of the tongue. We speak words to our children. We speak words to our spouse. And we're either pushing, we're either pushing them more toward the death side or we're giving words of life. We want to give the people around us affirming words. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. We've all heard this phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones and names will never hurt me. <laughs> what a lie that is. Words can cut deep. Hurting words can cut deep. Good words, affirming words, can go to the heart and change a person. Understand the power of the tongue. One young man who was 18 years old, he'd been criticized with cutting, biting words all his life from his father. And when he was 18 years old, his father put the last dagger in his heart. He looked at his son and he said, you will never amount to anything. And inside that young man rose up bitterness and anger, resentment, defiance. And he said to himself, I'll show you. And show his dad he did. He started going to sleep, go to bed at 12 o'clock every night, and he was up at 3 o'clock every morning. He was going to show his dad how successful he could be just from hearing those biting words. For 25 years, that's how he lived. Then successful he became. But you know what? If your heart's all locked up and you don't have a relationship, Success and money and achieving things is as empty as an empty tin can. There's nothing in it. And then he came to get help. And nobody ever took him to his heart to deal with something that happened back in his childhood. He was still carrying it. And he learned to forgive his dad. And he forgave his dad. And that night, he got six hours sleep and doing well ever since. We need to give affirming words. It gives health and life and builds relationship. Secondly, we need to give focused attention. If you want to get to know someone, focus on their heart. Give them undivided, focused attention. I remember when I was a youth pastor, and uh, we had youth one Friday night, and uh, I shared the gospel that night, and one of the girls what was there that night was a visitor, and, and she was from a Catholic background, but what, what I was explaining and what I was sharing about the gospel was totally intrigued her. So she said to me, could, could I talk to you about what you were talking about? Well, sure you can. So we got a few of us and we went into a, a room and, 
and she wanted, she had questions about what I was saying, so I was explaining. And I never realized the power of focused attention till that day, but she just locked her eyes on my eyes and was just soaking in every word I was saying, never wavered, almost got a little bit uncomfortable. And she wasn't being stupid or flirty, nothing, nothing like that. She just wanted to know. But that, I never forgot that. And the power of that just focused attention. Husbands, take time and give your wife focused attention. Focused attention. Find out what's going on inside. It's easy to talk about the weather and what's all happening in the family, but I'm talking about going to her heart. What's inside? Focus on her heart. And when you find out what's in there, care about it. Wives, you can do the same thing to your husband. Focused attention. The, fourth, the third thing is eye contact. Eye contact. The eyes are the windows of your soul. Did you know, my understanding is that a border crossing guard is trained to look into your eyes as he's talking to you, trying to discern if you should come into our country. If you're wearing sunglasses, the first thing they will tell you, take your sunglasses off. And sometimes they get irritated about that. You don't want to do that because they want to see your eyes. The eyes are the windows of our soul. Have you ever seen somebody with just dark eyes? And I don't mean dark color. <laughs> I mean they could have blue, nice bright blue eyes, but they're dark. That's an indication of what is in the heart. We've all seen people, you talk to them and they'll look everywhere, but they won't look you in the eye. They'll just talk away, but they will not make eye contact. And, and I think the biggest reason for that is they instinctively know, they don't think about it, but if you look into my eye, you're going to see who I really am, and I don't like what's in there, so I'm not going to look you in the eye. The psalmist said, he was struggling with all kinds of turmoil inside. And he was really struggling emotionally. And he says, as for the light in my eyes, it's gone. What's an amazing thing when I have a couple in my office and I turn them to face each other and we start dealing with deep heart issues. We get into everything. And sometimes... Let's say a husband is dealing with a deep abuse issue and God frees him from that and he gives him healing. His eyes will change. I've seen that so dramatic sometimes to look at their wife and uh, they won't recognize the eyes and they'll kind of be startled a little bit. It changes the eyes, which changes the whole countenance. Eye contact is such a, a critical thing in getting to a person's heart. It's the window into our heart. The fourth, th the fourth thing is physical touch. 
And I'm talking not sexual kind of touch, but just physical touch that's appropriate. I remember a preacher that came and spoke at our church, and he was talking about physical touch and how important it is. Appropriate touch. He um, met a lady that he pastored in their church years and years before, and, and they went through a very difficult time. And he just thanked the pastor for helping us through that and, and so on. And he said, well, I don't remember helping you very much. Oh, you just shook my hand and you gave me encouragement. She never forgot that. Something simple as that, physical touch. Apparently they've done tests in nursing homes. They can lower a person's blood pressure just by physical touch, appropriate touch. It's an amazing thing. So in my office, I'll have a husband and wife face each other. And typically, husbands and wives don't ever make eye contact the kind I'm talking about. And so I want to start working with them. I want to, first of all, find out what's inside. So I'll have them turn and face each other. And we'll get all four of those things going. I'm going to give them words to talk to each other. I'm going to have them focus on the other person. If the eye contact and they're holding hands, all those four things are operational there. And oftentimes I'll ask a question like this. As a husband looks into her eyes, I want him to ask her this. Has anyone ever in your life, they could be in their mid-50s or whatever age, has anybody, anybody ever just looked into your eyes to care about what's happening inside. And many times they'll just start crying. Because nobody has ever taken the time to focus with eye contact and just care about what's happening inside. A few weeks ago, I did that to both parties, both of the couple. Both of them could not remember anybody caring ever about what was happening inside. We're talking about our hearts. This is where relationship takes place at a heart level. And if we can't do that, something is blocking it. Something is blocking it. And it's an amazing thing to get into somebody's heart. Now, I, I um, had a sheet handed out this morning. Most of you got one, hopefully, when you come in. And uh, I just have some questions here that, that when you're doing this with your spouse, I told you I'd get real practical, <laughs> that you could try this this afternoon. Just get together, you and your spouse. Sit facing each other, eye to eye, heart to heart, and just start talking to each other. Hold hands. But here's some questions you can start talking. Because you want to get inside. You want to get to the heart. Have you ever felt loved? Who have you felt loved from in your life? Do you ever feel lonely? You're just talking about heart issues. Have you ever had someone care for your emotional needs? Do you feel like I care for your emotional needs? 
Who loved you in your life more than anybody else? These are all heart questions. And I challenge you to do that. Now, here's the thing that can happen when you sit eye to eye, heart to heart. You're going to find out what's in the heart. Remember I said 80 to 90% of the things I deal with with a couple who are ready to split or they're just struggling so much and they don't feel love from each other, 80 to 90% of my time is dealing with issues that were there before they were married. I when you're a pastor, you, you, you get privy to a lot of information about what goes on in people's lives. But I had no idea what was really happening in people's lives until I started counseling this way and getting into people's hearts. You can't believe how many marriages die on the honeymoon. And sometimes I make this statement. You know, when you get married, it takes about two weeks for everything that's unresolved in your heart to hit the fan. One couple said to me, two weeks? <laughs> two hours for us. <laughs> we had the biggest fight we ever had going from the wedding reception to the honeymoon suite, and we've been fighting ever since. And they could be 20 years married. I never would have believed that as a pastor. I hear that kind of stuff all the time. You're going to find out what's happening inside. So let's say, husband, you, you find out there's something that's been taking place and, and, and she can't maybe even receive your love. Or maybe you can't, she, you can't get love from her. And this can go either way. Husbands, I'd move heaven and earth to help your wife deal with whatever issues she has in her heart. So you can have a heart connection the way God intended. And when you start going there, you're going to start to have a marriage that is um, less than 1%. It's hard to, hard to believe how many families look good, smell good, they're all in the, but they're not, they're not connected at home. We do have divorce rates, depending on whose stat statics you statistics you use it could be 30 to 50 percent even in the church why is that there's only i think there's only one reason unresolved stuff in the heart and we come up with things like i married the wrong person this is never going to work the devil jumps all over that and puts lots of negative thoughts in your mind and we got a big enough crowd here this morning that Lots of you are thinking, you know what? I'm not feeling loved in my marriage. And you understand what I'm talking about. And we think we married the wrong person. And you think, maybe I shouldn't be married to this person anymore. Understand this about second marriages. They have a worse record than the first across the board. Why? Because it's unresolved heart issues that cause that, and you just drag that into the next relationship, and probably other person does too, and it starts all over again. And it's easier to separate the second time. I'd move heaven and earth to find out what's in your spouse's heart, blocking relationship. Because when you start to go into the heart, you're going to probably start hitting stuff. 
But once you get that stuff resolved, you can start having fun in your marriage the way God intended it to be. Let's talk about parents with children. I would like to see you um, as parents at least once a week with each of your children. Just do this kind of thing. Just get together with them and start going to their heart. Not a hard thing to do, but you can get to their hearts. Put that into practice. Coming back from Colorado for us, um, I had one goal in life. Like I said, I want to love my wife so she could feel that. I wanted my kids, when they left our home, to be able to say, it wasn't a perfect home, but we knew we were loved. One of my daughters, one of my seven children, I knew she had so put up a wall against me, and I'm not blaming her for that. That was my fault. Because growing up from a little girl, she loved horses. Daddy, 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 can I have a horse? I just want a horse. I love horses. She had horse books. She had horse dolls. Everything was about horses. That's her heart speaking. And you know what I had always say? Can we get a horse, Dad? Can we get a horse? And we always lived in the country, so we could have done that. But I would just come back with her and I'd say, Oh, honey, horses eat like horses. And I would just slough it off. Slough it off. That was her heart coming at me, and I'm not hearing it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't get a horse. I'm just saying I ignored her heart. So coming back from Colorado with an open heart, I knew I had to reach her heart. And again, I wasn't thinking about horses, but every time I tried to do anything like this, she just blocked me. And I'd just start praying, say, Lord, how do I get to the heart of my child? She's 14 by that time. And he brought to my mind horses, horses. She likes horses. And I ignored it, and I, real, I started to realize how I wasn't caring for her heart. And so, one day, I said to her, you know how you always, and my voice is even going to her heart, do you know how you always said to me growing up how much you wanted a horse and how much you loved horses? She looks at me, yeah. Well, um, if we were ever to get a horse, I wouldn't know how to look after one, and you don't know how to look after one. So why don't we find a place around here, we lived out in the country, that, that boards horses, and maybe you could uh, work in the horse barn and, and uh, exchange it for riding lessons or something. Fine. I couldn't believe it. One block away from us was a horse stable that we, that we, and, we, and we went in there and they'd be happy to have them fork the manure and, and um, free riding lessons. But this didn't get her heart. I mean, she was so blocked against me. 
Well, then I found out about this horse place. Maybe some of you know Miracle Mountain Ranch. Anybody ever heard of that place in Pennsylvania? Miracle Mountain Ranch. It's a, it's a ministry, a camping ministry, and it's all about horses. There's about 100 horses there. It's a horse camp. But it's, it's Christian, and it's an amazing place. I found out about it. So I, says, I said to my daughter one day, why don't we, you and I take a little trip for a couple of days and we'll go down to this horse ranch and maybe you can do some work there, be a counselor or um, whatever. And so she was, okay, yeah, fine. She would do that. And it got time close to going. And so um, you know how you can plan things way ahead and everything else crowds in by the time you get there. And my wife and I were in the kitchen. She was in the other room. She could hear us talking. And we were trying to work out how we're going to do this and go down to this ranch for a couple of days. And, and it was difficult to work it all out. We weren't thinking of not going. We were just trying to work it all out. But she heard us talking. She said, she just yells in, we don't have to go that weekend. We don't have to go then. You know what I heard now with an open heart? I heard, am I important enough? that you keep this commitment. And I said, Amanda, um, it's not whether we're going or not. We're going. We're just working out the deal. Well, she said, I don't think we should go. In fact, it's too much. It's just, no. And I'm not going. I just ignored that. Now we're we're going to go. So we went. It's a five-hour drive. She never said four words to me all the way down. But I don't care. That's my problem. I built that. I just wanted her heart. And so um, we ended up having to go down there. And long story short, it was about two years. And something happened. She had an accident with her eye. And uh, when, I, when she realized that I would cancel all my week counseling, just to look after her. That was the final thing, and she opened her heart. We have a wonderful relationship today. She'll still sit on my knee. This works. Affirming words. Eye contact, focused attention works with your children as well. And I've got this sheet on the back. On the back of that sheet I just talked about, adult children share ways their parents could connected with them by developing uh, that develop security and feelings of being cared for and loved and ask God for wisdom to give you what you need to care for the hearts of your children and you care for the hearts of your teenagers you know what they're not going to be cutting themselves they're not going to be dependent on this social media that goes on because they'll feel secure, they'll feel loved. God gave everybody a heart to do this, but sometimes we are blocked. Move heaven and earth, ask God to show you what's blocking me from getting to the hearts of my children or my spouse. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you, you showed us the ultimate love by sending us your son to die in our place the ultimate gift of love. And you've given every one of us the ability, you've given us a heart to be able to love. Would you give each one of us wisdom 
as we just reach out to our spouse, to our children, to our extended family, so we can love them from the heart. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.